When I surrendered, when I shared my secrets, when I started healing, when I started that part of my inward journey, I got so much more powerful in every aspect of my life. I became a better father. I became a better husband. I became a better boss to my employees. I became a better subordinate to my bosses. I, I became a better board member for companies where I was sitting on the board. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Hope you're all doing well. Today we're going to be the topic of conversation is going to be around sex and pornography, extramarital affairs. Uh, and you may be thinking, what's that going to do with alcohol? Or, like my wife Liza pointed out the other day, you don't half talk to a lot of people about sex on your podcast, which is interesting, right? Because we are obviously here um, with the, the shared uh, goal of uh, doing something about our relationship with alcohol, right? But what you'll find when you dig beneath the roots of why our uh, alcohol consumption is going out of control, um, in those roots, in the shadowy, dark parts where the roots are really trying to uh, create a strong foundation for life, um, you'll find that there are uh, a lot of issues, a lot of problems, uh, a lot of uh, traumas, if you will, uh, big T traumas and little T traumas, um, that make it very challenging for us as human beings to access that inner wisdom uh, that we have that, you know, is very, very comfortable and very okay with feeling and emotion and expressing feeling and emotion because we're human beings, right? But that innate wisdom that we're all born with over time really does get locked in the coffin, <laughs> and nailed down hard, whilst culture does a very, very, very good job of helping us to ignore uh, wisdom banging on that coffin and to just turn us into robots, right? Turn us into automons where we, we're just following the rule book of life handed to us in a free market society. And, and one of those rules is you do not talk about sex, right? Like, you do not talk about sex. You do not talk about pornography. Um, uh, to do so is a very shameful experience, uh, a very embarrassing experience, a very humiliating experience, right? And most of us who are adults have all done something in our lives related to pornography or sex. We have behaved in that, that orbit, right, of sexuality in a way that doesn't uh, conform to the rule book. Or if we haven't behaved in a way that doesn't conform to the rule book, we've certainly thought about behaving in different ways that don't conform to the rule book, right? And often the shame of thinking, the shame of thought, or the, sorry, the shame created by your thinking and the shame created by your thought, or the shame uh, created by uh, behaviors or actions that you have carried out that don't conform to the way um, society and culture decrees is acceptable when it comes to sexuality can drive you to want to choose external avenues of numbing uh, those feelings, right? So that's why very often there is a link between uh, sexual trauma and sexual shame and drinking alcohol 
or smoking weed or taking any other form of drugs, right? It's, it's a way of numbing and dealing with the issue, okay? Also, when you get into the whole environment and culture uh, that our guest today, Jason Portnoy, ended up in, you know, when, when sex becomes um, so pronounced in your life that it becomes a really big component and part of it, uh, usually alcohol is part of the gig, right? If, if you find yourself in strip clubs and, um, uh, and going out to clubs trying to hook up, you know, alcohol is there, right? Drugs are there, right? It's like it's part of the environment. So today we are going to talk about sex and uh, we, it's going to be two men having a conversation about sex and pornography. Um, but before you turn this off, all you women say, well, that's got nothing to do with me because like, I'm a woman, I'm not a man. It really, I really urge you to stay on because there is so much value that can come out of understanding how men, in this case, me and Jason, think about sex, think about pornography, and how people like me and Jason have experienced the addictive nature of both of those topics and survived it, right? It is really helpful because a greater understanding and awareness allows you to look across the, the kitchen table or look across the bed at the man that you're, that you're sharing your life with and, 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 and see him in a different light, right? And hopefully uh, what I, the goal of this conversation is that you will be able to open up lines of communication, non-threatening, safe, non-judgmental uh, forms of communication with your partners, right, about sex, okay? Um, because, you know, sex and love, they're not tied at the hip. It's not a yin and yang there, right? Like you can be completely and utterly in love with somebody, can't have thoughts of wanting to have sex with everybody you walk along the street. Like, you know, like th 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 that's just part of being human, I think, right? So have a listen to it. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, as always, please reach out to me at thestridemethod at gmail.com. Uh, to let us know what you thought about this conversation, to get in touch with Jason, to talk to me about this topic, um, and also to ask me more about the Strive Method. Uh, the Strive Method it really is not, it's not just about alcohol. The Strive Method really is about helping you to live consciously, okay? Uh, so give us, a, give us a shout at thestrivemethod.gmod.com, and I'll tell you more about that. Or go to www.thestrivemethod.com um, and pick up our book, Okay, and learn more about the method. Okay, so entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and author Jason Portnoy began his career at PayPal, working closely with technology icons like Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, and Reid Hoffman. He served as the chief financial officer of Palantir Technologies, and he later founded Oakhouse Partners, which is a top-performing venture capital firm. Jason is sought after as a trusted advisor to technology company CEOs and has spoken on topics ranging from executive leadership to the intersections of technology and humanity. He holds engineering degrees from both Stanford and the University of Colorado, and he currently lives in Park City, Utah with his wife, two kids, and their family dog. All right. Um, and like I said, I invited Jason on the show to talk about his addiction to pornography and sex and two of the most often shunned topics of conversation in our daily lives. And Jason is the author of the book, Silicon Valley Porn Star. Okay. And this is a little blurb about the book. So from modest roots in the suburbs of New Jersey, Jason Portnoy followed a script carefully crafted by society and found himself in the middle of the PayPal mafia, launched into a Silicon Valley career 
of wealth and prestige he never dreamed of. Stock options, flashy cars, amazing family life. On the outside, his life looked perfect, but unhealed traumas from his past left him tortured, descending into a dark world of pornography and sex that eventually pushed him to the edge. In Silicon Valley Porn Star, uh, Jason willingly shares his personal transformation from a life of extramarital affairs and superficial excess to one of chosen values and renewed relationships. His journey sheds a light on the crisis of masculinity in our modern world, where quests for unlimited power and success are gateways to addiction, dependency, and unhinged behavior. No matter your profession or position in life, Jason's story will inspire you to look within and find your own path towards success, fulfillment, and becoming a man you truly wanted to be. So without further ado, I will shut the hell up, leave you in the capable hands of Jason Portnoy. Jason Portnoy. Did I? Portnoy. Did I say that right? That's right. Portnoy. The first challenge of any podcast host, getting the name right. <laughs> so you wrote a book called Silicon Valley Porn Star, um, which I didn't get chance to read. I'm really curious, what, where, why, why that name, Silicon Valley Porn Star, Memoir of Redemption and Rediscovering the Self? Sure. So, well, first, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. When I decided I was going to write a book about my journey that I went on, I had worked in Silicon Valley for a lot of my career. And so it felt natural to somehow tie it to Silicon Valley. Um, and the porn star name, it's something that gets revealed early in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but I was working with a life coach. And at one point, I finally started admitting that I had some things I wanted to address. After years of coaching, mm -hmm. I finally admitted, hey, I look at porn more than I would like. And I can't seem to stop. And I mm -hmm. think it's affecting me, maybe hurting me. And she has this, had this way of, of create, you know, identifying different identities that were at work inside of each of us. Mm -hmm. And so she nicknamed this identity of mine, porn star. And ah. so then she would start my coaching sessions. So how's porn star doing today? Ah. And it was, it was, it was funny. And frankly, like the levity that she brought to it made it a lot easier to talk about something that otherwise was very embarrassing. Hmm. And I was kind of ashamed of and all of those things. So it was very helpful. So anyway, it's, it felt like a natural connection it also gets people's attention. <laughs> I have to tell yeah. them there's nothing pornographic about the book though. Nothing, <laughs> you know, it's, and I was not a porn actor. Yeah. You wasn't it's a good porn story. Star. I mean, it's yeah. interesting that because part of the strive method is we concentrate on internal family systems, which mm -hmm. is um, former psychotherapy by Dr. Richard Schwartz. And mm -hmm. that, it, that sounds very similar to what your therapist was doing was that um, we have a true self, we have a false self, and that false self is our ego, and it is made up of different fractured personality types. And it's really healthy to identify them, to name them, to get to know them, to understand what they need, what they're after, so you can start to kind of integrate them into a more wholesome self. I could not have said it better myself. I think that's, that, that's my understanding of this. That we, you know, it wasn't explained to me in, in exactly those terms, but mm. that's exactly right. It was, oh, wow. yeah. Super powerful. And, yeah. Very powerful. You said, um, you realized that you was looking at porn more than what did I write here? Looking at it more than you would like. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's start there because 
that is a really, I mean, there'll be a lot of people listening to this who will be like, yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. There'll be a lot of people not listening to this who won't even be entertaining that question. They, they won't understand that they've deviated away from the norm because the norm is just what they're doing. So can you, let's just, just start there. Just talk and ramble on about that. Looking at it more than I would like. What does that mean? Well, and it's gotten so normalized, I feel, in our culture these days that I feel like there's an assumption, at least in certain areas, that, you know, every guy is doing this. Mm. And, you know, women too, but disproportionately it's men consuming Mm. pornography. And it's, it feels like it's almost been normalized that, you know, this is just something we have to accept and tolerate. And I challenge that. And for me, so... For me, it started with pornography when I was in my 20s. Once I got into my late 20s, into my 30s, it porn, porn turned out to just be like a gateway drug. Hmm. And it then I started, it wasn't enough at one at some point. And then it was hookups on, you know, Craigslist was a website that I was using. And then hmm. it was escort websites. And then it just kept snowballing. And, you know, then it, and, um, so I feel like, and which I realized, man, I might have a problem here. Maybe I need to stop doing these things, but I wasn't ready to admit that I was, cause I was married while all of this was happening. So I wasn't ready mm-hmm. to admit that I was cheating on my wife, mm-hmm. but I was, I felt like, well, if I, if I can get this porn thing under control, maybe the rest of it will fall away. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the rest of it will go away. And that's when I finally said, you know, I, I look at porn and what is more than I liked, you know, daily. And, you know, I would try to like, I'm not going to look at porn this week. And I'd maybe last two or three days and then I'd go look at porn mm. and I just couldn't stop. Uh, I, I just couldn't stop. I mean, for, pe- for people listening to this who might be thinking, well, why, why, why do you need to go to porn if you're in a relationship? Could you mm. touch upon that a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, maybe not unlike other relationships. Well, I think there's two answers to this. There's like the very practical answer that I would have given you, you know, 10 years ago when I was in the middle of this, which was my wife doesn't want to have sex as often as I want to have sex. Hmm. And so I need, you know, I'm a man and I have biological needs and I need to have sex. And if I can't have sex with her, I'm either going to go to porn or go have sex with someone else. And th- this was the way I was rationalizing it to myself. Yeah. The answer I would give now would be that I was, I was looking for something to numb myself. I had some core shame in my life or some traumatic experiences that happened to me when I was younger. And as I got older, Porn and sex became a way of numbing myself or distracting myself from feeling those things or those feelings. And then once I got into that cycle and I was either looking at porn and lying about it because I wasn't telling my wife and I knew she disapproved. So now I'm lying to my wife. That makes a person feel guilty or maybe there's some shame attached to that. And so then what do you do to cover up that feeling of guilt or shame? you just do it more, you know, Mm. more porn or more sex. And so that's how I got into the, what we would call an addictive cycle. Mm. And that's how it became an addiction where, 
you know, no amount of porn or sex was enough because every instance of acting out added to the pile of guilt and shame and just made it worse. Are you are you comfortable talking about though the your trauma that led to um numbing? Or is that something you don't feel comfortable talking about? No, I do. I talk about it in the book. I feel like for me, I had a couple things that happened. Um, my father and mother got divorced when I was a, a young boy and my father moved away. And that was kind of traumatic. I didn't really understand how traumatic until I was older and almost getting divorced because of these issues hmm. and realizing that I would never leave my daughter. And then I, I, and it was only then, this is like my mid thirties, call it 30 years after the event happened, that Mm. I touched that pain that was inside that my dad had left me. And that was a very traumatic thing. I did have a stepfather. He had a lot of issues with anger and Mm. I was very afraid of him. And that was also traumatic. My mother uh, went through bouts of depression and you know, I experienced things ranging from her being gone in hospitals or being home, but heavily medicated and kind of very distant and not really emotionally present all the way to her threatening to commit suicide, you know, also something very traumatic for a young child. Hmm. And so I talk about all those things in the book. It sounds like you were missing a sense of healthy security when you were younger? Did that then, when it came to using porn or sex, was there triggers that resembled a lack of security, maybe being left alone or feeling lonely? What what was it that connected the trauma to the act? What was the, what was the trigger that connected the two? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I spent a long time trying to understand like what exactly were my triggers. Eventually, I kind of gave up on that because it mm-hmm. felt like it was a little bit too... I was too in my head with yeah, that. Yeah, too rational, know? too logical. Yeah. It kind of like analyzing everything, but it was helpful at times mm-hmm. to realize, oh, that's a trigger for me. And yes, um, I don't recall all of them, but being alone was a major trigger for me. Mm. And and I think you're right. I think because when I was alone, I felt those same feelings that I felt as a child where I felt alone a lot. Mm. Can I share a personal experience Please. to that and, and see yeah. if it if it um, mirrors because and also this is a, a teaching moment for those listening. I myself uh, developed an addiction to pornography and I, what I want to talk about here is I I noticed that whenever my family would leave the house, um, I would automatically go to that that thought of, oh, they're not here. So I'm alone. So this gives me the opportunity to watch some porn and uh, have an orgasm, right? Masturbate and have an orgasm. And one connection that I, I had was whilst there was the emotional feeling of loneliness, there was also a ritualization that I developed that had become habitual. And then I was able to unpack the difference. What I mean by that is raising awareness from subconscious to conscious level. When my family went out and I, and I thought of doing it, I was able to say, well, hang on a minute. Do I feel anything here now? Or is this literally just they've left? So the habit is go do. 
And yes. I found that most of the time it was just a habit. And that was very similar to me when I think back now of smoking, of drinking, of gambling. You know, when people talk about the overwhelming urging, urge and, and trigger, and I couldn't handle it and I couldn't take it. Um, that wasn't necessarily true for me when I was able to, when I developed more um, of a relationship with my body and I was able to tap in and go, actually, this is not a craving that terrifies me or I have to succumb to. This is just one plus one equals two. I, I can right. and I can do something different. D does that yes. ring any bells with you at all? Hundred percent. Yes. Going to hotel rooms, working away was another one of mine. Like if I was to work away and go to a hotel room, as soon as I was in a hotel room, I would be unpacking my um, laptop, looking at porn for no reason other than that was what I did when I went to hotel rooms. I had the exact same experience. Crazy, yeah, right? because I traveled for work a lot, and yeah. I had the exact same experience when my family would go away. It was like five minutes after they left the house, um, I'm looking at porn. Yeah. And yes. And it was some combination of I'm alone. I don't like to feel alone. If I look at porn, I'm not alone. It's some combination of that and the ritualization and, and the habit, which is like, you know, a Pavlovian response to like, mm. oh, the house is empty. I'm home by myself. This is just what I do. Well, let, let's talk about the power of anticipation as well. You know, like when, oh, right. you know, just to touch upon that, when you know you're going to be alone, like that, that actually, I mean, that is the, that's when the dopamine is going to start to rush in, right? That's when the addiction is, it's not, I was reading something the other day. It was, um, you know, it's not, it's not that drink. It's not that first drink of alcohol or the first sight of uh, uh, a naked body that is, is actually, the problem, you know, it, that, that's not what you're after. It's the anticipation of the act. Let's that's talk about right. that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think that's very true. I mean, I, I definitely experienced that as well. And, and I, and I write about this. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I also yeah, yeah, write yeah. about this in the book yeah. where I talk about how in the early days, when I was having my first sexual encounters outside of my marriage, or, you know, it started when we were dating, then we were engaged, then we were married. Um, but it was still, I was transgressing mm. by any measure. I write in the book that I even realized it at the time, you know, after the first couple of times that it wasn't just the sex. In fact, it wasn't the sex. It was the anticipation, it was the, you know, arranging the meeting, uh, the fear of or excitement of what was about to happen. Um, afterwards it was, you know, thinking about the next time. Yeah. It was, all of that was, was far more powerful than the actual sex itself. I, I think that's why some people flirt, you know, I like, mm. I, I, I can be flirtatious. And I guess when I used to drink, that was a real problem because if you're flirtatious while you're drinking, then the edges become really blurred. There's no boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. And that. I mean, it's open to debate whether or not there's such a thing as healthy flirtation, not when you're in a when you're in a relationship. But really, if you think about it, that flirtation is anticipatory behavior, right? Like sure. you're pushing it as far as you can and you you're actually getting a buzz out of what could potentially happen whilst yes. whilst if you're in a relationship and you don't want it to go any further, you you have a boundary and you know it's not gonna go anywhere, but that's why you're doing it, versus your boundaries aren't so secure and you end up doing something or behaving in a way you don't want to, I guess. 
Yeah. Well, and then, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, I, I finally tell this life coach, Hey, I look at porn and I, I think it's probably not good for me. Mm. Um, which is really my way of like telling her, but not telling her that, Hey, I'm also cheating on my wife a lot. Mm. And that's probably not good. And I probably need to do something about that. Well, about a year after that, I kind of get caught and I have to admit that I've been cheating for a very long time, that it wasn't just porn. And, um, my wife and I, we separate, I have to move out. It's a very scary time for me. I feel very lost hmm. and uh, very afraid that I'm going to lose everything that's important to me. Uh, my wife and daughter mostly, but also my career. I was kind of taking more risks with my, you know, the lines between the, the lines were getting blurred there as well. Um, and that's when I found the 12 step program, mm-hmm. you know, my the life coach, when I finally kind of admitted that, Hey, this has been going on for as long as I can remember. I was crying just like mm-hmm. on the phone saying, this has been going on as long as I can remember too many times to count. She suggested I look at a 12 step program and that really saved me in that moment. And it was really powerful. I don't know if you want to, you know, talk more about this or not. Yeah, sure. What what were what were the light bulb moments, I guess, or the major shifts in your paradigm that came out of the 12 steps? Well, at, at, for starters, it was the surrender. And instead of trying to live a life of control, where I was trying to control everything, hmm. it was an acknowledgement that I had to surrender and that I was a small part of a big universe and that I was not in control of everything. And that was really powerful. The second thing that really affected me was sharing all of my secrets. Mm. So it started out with journaling. I, you know, but then I read all of the journaling to my wife, which was very difficult for both of us. Mm-hmm. Then I was in 12 step meetings where I was also sharing my secrets. And my life coach had said something to me when, when the dam first started to break and I finally was admitting this, she said, or maybe it was the last thing she said that finally encouraged me, but she said, you know, your secrets will keep you sick. Mm. You have to let those secrets out. And that was a huge turning point for me as well. And then the the other major thing that I realized, which kind of, it took a little bit more time, but was that I had to go inside. I had to look inside myself and I had to start questioning myself. I had to start challenging all of my assumptions about what was right and wrong. What makes sense? Doesn't make sense. Why am I doing certain things? And then go even deeper and start thinking about like, did I have childhood traumas? All of this stuff. And it's all this introspection and internal work that as, as I did that work and I got to know myself better and I got I love myself partially with this parts work you talked about earlier, the desire for acting out started to naturally fall away. Mm. Like, I, I think it's important that people understand you can't, you can't just think in your head, I'm going to stop. You can't white knuckle it or, or you can, but only for a very short period of time because it's just too hard to do. You're fighting these forces that are much, much deeper. And so it wasn't until I started going much deeper inside of myself and resolving these things that 
the desire to act out just naturally fell away. It wasn't like, oh, I can't, I can't look at porn today. I can't look at porn today. It was more like I woke up one day and thought, I haven't even thought about looking at porn for a month. Mm, that that's yeah. really that's really weird. How did that happen? And gradually, the time that that acting out was taking up, both the, like the mental time and the the actual time, eventually starts to get replaced by healthier activities. Right, more time being present with my family, you know, more attention on taking care of my health, whatever it was. Mm. It sounds like, yeah, you went from um, a, a person doing porn to someone who is someone who doesn't even look at it. Like it, you're being, you, you, you've gone from doing something to being someone. Almost like um, you peel back so many layers that you, of your false self that you find your true self and your true self is somebody that doesn't need to use um, porn in order to numb because there's nothing left to numb. You've healed like... That's what it sounds like. That's right. And it was a very long process though. I also want to make that very clear. So I went and I I talk about this in the book. Um, Mm. I went at one point for two years without looking at any porn. Mm. And then I had a craving to look at porn again. But this time I did it kind of very transparently. And I, I told my life coach like, hey, I wanted to look at porn and I did. And, you know, I told my wife about it and... It was it was kind of an entry point. I, the term I use in the book, it was like a canary in the coal mine, right? It was a, an early warning system that told me that something wasn't right in my life. Mm. There's something I'm I'm either in resistance to something, or I'm I'm afraid to go even deeper into my work, or or something like that. And so then with the life coach or meditation or journaling, I could start processing and move through that. And then the porn desire craving went away again. Mm. And then six months later it came back, mm. but then it went away again. And so I had a period of a few years where, you know, it would come back every four to six months. Mm-hmm. But when it did, I was honest about it. And I used it as an entry point to understand like, what additional work I had to keep doing. Mm, that's really cool. Talk yeah. a little bit deeper about the control mm. issue, the, uh, the surrendering to control, because, you know, as we were talking about earlier on with this, um, this history you have, this like kind of like lack of security, people leaving, people not making you feel safe. Mm-hmm. And then usually what we try to do is we try to control situations to help us feel safe and secure etc etc and it feels like this was part of the issue go a little deeper on that what 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 did you realize with the control the whole control issue talk about that yeah so these traumas affect us on multiple levels right one level is like a deep fear of being alone maybe Mm. because of but another level would be if you are left alone you have to, or, or there's a lot of uncertainty in your universe. You have to create that certainty so that you feel safe again. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those forces were at work for me as a kid. And so then as I grew into adulthood, you know, in a, in a weird way, society really rewarded me for, for being that way. So I was the guy who had it all under control. You know, mm. I had it figured out. I could make things happen. I could, 
take charge of a situation and and drive something forward. And so this made me a very successful in Silicon Valley. Hmm. You know, I was I was good at my job. You know, I didn't understand why, <laughs> but and so then I was getting rewarded for that behavior: more money, more titles, buying fancy cars. And I thought I was doing everything right. Hmm. Uh, you know, this is just what men are supposed to do. We're supposed to, you know, make a lot of money and buy fancy cars and have lots of women. And like, this is what was drilled into me when I was young. <laughs> like, that's going to make you a happy man. And so, and then if you layer on top of that, I've got this secret with porn, or then it's secrets with, with sexual hookups and things like that. Now I'm presenting to my wife a, and my, my job and everyone really a completely false version of myself. Yeah. So here I am now, I'm tightly controlling the image that everyone sees while a shadow side of me is operating totally in the dark. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, talk about going through life, like holding on, you know, I was just holding on and, and it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And I was miserable. When you, when you grew up, what was the behavior? What was the culture? What was the behaviors being enacted around you by fellow young men? Like, cause I know what, when I, when I grew up, sorry, pre-warning to every single person who's married as one of my friends from back in the day. Uh, when I grew up, um, being faithful was just unusual. What was, what was usual and was the norm is lads would get together, they would go out, they get really drunk, and they'd hook up with other women. And that was the norm. And I don't remember having too many conversations with people on guilt trips about what they were doing because it was the norm. And they just crossed their fingers and hoped that they wouldn't get caught out. And when they did, relationships usually ended because they, they weren't stable enough to survive it. What what was What was your upbringing like in that sense yeah so so my my experience was a little bit different it was a i think a little less driven by my social circles and a little more driven by like media so mm. you know i was watching a lot of television or watching movies or reading maxim magazine or you know whatever and and i feel like in so many tv shows movies you know it's depicted I mean, even, even one that seems as innocent as Pretty Woman, which, you know, when that movie came out, I don't know, it was probably early high school, middle school or something. Um, everyone loved that movie. You know, who doesn't love, I'm, I'm blanking, uh, Julia Roberts Julia and Roberts. Richard Gere, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of a, but what's the, the message in that story is like <laughs> the rich guy <laughs> in the fast car yeah. finds a beautiful prostitute and they go live happily ever after. Yeah. Like, and that's just one example. I mean, uh, we could find dozens and dozens of examples where it's like the rich guy gets the girl, you know, he's got the fast car, then he's happy. All the blokes like him, all, all the guys like him. And yeah, I feel like it was just reinforced and reinforced. Um, mm. And certainly, yeah. So again, l less... Uh, Less in my social circle and more like in the media, I would say. How was ego involved in all of this? Ego and status. I mean, we talked about we talked about trauma and we've talked about behavior and ritualization. 
Um, but was, was there an element of status and ego in this as well? 100%. And the word, the other word I would throw in there is power. Mm. Because in the place I came from, you know, I attributed money with status and power. Power mm. in the sense that you have an ability to control your environment, right? And so that's, you know, that's those were my goals. And so, yes, my my ego that wants to think of myself as a separate entity, a separate being, that separate thing needs to acquire resources and power for itself to make itself feel safe. You know, that and so that's what I was doing. But it's enough. You know, the there's never enough money, there's never enough power, there's never enough women to actually make that ego feel safe. And the more that you have, the more it needs, really. And so that was why the, you know, the surrender was so important. And then the acknowledgement that I'm not a separate person. Like I exist in community with others. I exist as part of humanity. I am a small part of a big universe where everything is connected and my actions affect others. Mm. You know, so those kinds of realizations were really humbling. You know, that it was it, it reminds me of um reminds me of the book, The King Warrior Magician Lover. Oh, I love about, that book. Yeah, you know, in what what you're describing um in the height of your addiction is is that last of the immature masculine energies, right? The the hero, the Tom Cruise in Top Gun, like you you're doing everything for you, right? Like and then and then your life coach is helping you to understand that your actions have consequences. And now you start to look around, see your family, friends, et cetera. And now you're like, okay, I need to, I need to show up in a different, well, how would a real man show up? Well, that's, that's exactly right. And I'm so glad you're bringing this up because what I often tell people is on the surface, excuse me, on the surface, my book is a story about a guy, you know, an executive who's kind of gets lost in this porn and sex addiction and it's a, it's kind of an exciting story and there's a relationship with his wife. There's like a love story embedded in there. And it's, mm. it's kind of a, it's a great story. Mm. Um, you know, you can read it. And if, if all you took away from it was that level, it's still a good story, but there's a deeper story just below that surface, which is a story of a boy who's raised in a culture and a society that is perpetuating and encouraging a very immature model of masculinity. I would yeah. go as far as saying an immature model of adulthood, period. I think it's yeah. affecting women and men, but I had the male experience, so I'll focus on that. Yeah. And then this, this guy, he's in his 30s, he's got money and titles and whatever, but deep inside, his emotional development stopped at, you know, parts of him stopped developing emotionally when he was a child and went through these traumatic experiences. And so there are parts of him that are very much a child inside. Mm -hmm. And he is now presenting to the world a boy consciousness wrapped in a man's body, but he's still a boy. And he bumps up against the limitations of that boy consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, that self-centered boy consciousness can only go so far. And at some point it needs to transition into mature adult 
male consciousness. And that's what starts to happen towards the end of the book is I start realizing, you know, I say it in the book, like I need to grow up. That was like one of the pivotal moments in one of my coaching sessions with my life coach was like, I just need to grow up. I need to take more responsibility. I need to be in service to the people I love and to my community and to humanity. And, and that's really the journey I've been on over mm-hmm. the, you know, my book ends in 2015 and there was a few years of like repairing things with my wife mm-hmm. and building trust again. But after that, then we had a son and that's when I really started to understand, like, I need to look at my relationship with masculinity here because I thought I was a man. I thought I was doing all the things that men do, but I don't think that that, that wasn't the right model of masculinity. And then that's when I started reading books like King, Warrior, Magician, mm. Lover and, and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah that's, that's a big part of the book. Becoming ambivalent around our alcohol use is confusing, uncomfortable, and downright terrifying. Alcohol is so embedded in our lives that we can't imagine our life without it. And at Strive, we get that. So why not take one step at a time, starting with diving deep into our book, The Strive Method, Control Alcohol for 30 Days Before It Controls You for the Next 30 Years. Head over to www.thestrivemethod.com to purchase and receive a Santa sack full of freebies today. I came across the same thing because I stopped drinking, I don't know, like, how was my boy now? He's 21. I stopped drinking like 11, 12 years ago, 12, 12 years, maybe 12, 13 years ago. And when I stopped drinking, my level of awareness grew, right? So more of my subconscious programming was revealed into my conscious thought mm. and my, and my ego kicked in and I, and I thought I'd nailed it. Like I, I thought that I'd woken up from the matrix and everything was cool, ended up getting divorced. And then literally, yeah, literally like eight years later or something, I'm already remarried to an amazing woman. And she points out to me that like, you know, this relationship is not going to survive because it's like being married to a boy. I want a man like, and I'm thinking I am a man. And and then that deep dive, like you said, into that kind of like literature and that understanding and, and challenge around masculinity made me realize that even though I wasn't drinking and hadn't drunk for a long time and thought I had my shit together, I was still very self-centered and still in this mm. very powerful and, and, and alluring boy energy. And I think in a book using Tom Cruise in that Top Gun role, you know, as the the height of hero energy. You know, well, and, 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 and what he does when he, in the Tom Cruise example, he shows how the movie is about him starting to transition from this self-centered boy yes. consciousness yeah. to a more mature adult male consciousness who's in service to his community. Yes. In his case, his community was the pilots he was, he was yeah. flying with, but now he, he cared about how his interact his his actions affected them and he wanted to take care of them mm. right mm. and and i do feel like if i think about like what is an adult role in our culture and in our society what should we be doing i feel like caretaking is part of it like we should be caring for the young we should be sharing our wisdom that's why we're having this podcast conversation mm. right like mm. that's why that's why i wrote my book 
Mm. I say this at the end of the book, like I consider writing this book, my first significant act of service. Mm. I'm not making money on this book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to share all this so that other men who are going through this or women wouldn't feel so alone or young men and women, maybe it's a cautionary tale of what not to do. Or it, or, or it asks them to start challenging the assumptions that they're going through life with. And I feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing. We should be taking care. We should be sharing our wisdom. Certainly, we should be taking care of our environment, hmm. which I'm, I'm not sure we're doing a good job of that either. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a, it's, a, it's a good conversation, a healthy conversation. Fortunately, there are more of them happening just because of the internet and stuff. But it's... If you think about it, we're in a really interesting time, right? Like I, I often wonder what what would what would life be like for me now when if I was single, right? Because let me just throw I'm going to like pepper you with a various different thoughts here, and then and then we'll piece it all together. But you know, when I back in before I was married, both before both of my marriages, um, there was there were no dating apps. There were, there were no dating apps where you could actually specialize what type of people that you wanted to meet. There was no apps really where you met people just to have sex. There were prostitutes, but where I lived, you would never be able to find one. If you did, you'd never be able to afford one. Um, <laughs> the, the, the media, you know, you, your exposure to pornography was whatever magazine you found underneath your dad's mattress or looking at a you know, the underwear section of the catalog, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, have, yeah. And now, and now today I look at it and, you know, I have uh, single friends uh, who, male and female, who are just like, yeah, I want to fuck someone right now and, and I'm just going to go on my app and find someone and do that. There's not even the let's go to Starbucks, have a date, see if I like them. <laughs> There's just I want sex and... And then I read, I, I love reading Esther Perel's stuff and mm-hmm. Esther Perel talking about the the need for emotional intimacy and then the need for just raw sex uh, experiences without the emotion. And then I just, and then, and then I see what's going on in today with the music and the, the t- it's everywhere. And I think, wow, like, is this healthier? Or not? Like, is it healthier that everybody's exposed to it and talking about it, and and they're able to quote unquote? I mean, I I, I just think of women being able to to get involved in this more than men are. Is it healthier? And then there's another point that's saying to me, I don't know if it is. I'm interested in your thoughts. I'm 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 kind of like ambivalent about what's going on. I think, but what do you think? Well, I don't think you're ambivalent. I don't think you're ambivalent at all. I think you, I think you're identifying something, and I, my sense is that you don't think it's okay. But no, oh no, this is why I think I am ambivalent then, because I think I think if I think if I was single, then I I definitely I I think I would play around with that demarcation of it, it, is it possible to have sex with someone without an emotional bond? And does that emotional bond merely come from trauma? Like no. that, that I, so, I would so, like to explore that, right? Yeah, there's so, so many things I want to say. I'm not sure which order to take them. To that specific question, no, I do not believe it's possible to have sex with a person and not have an emotional connection. 
uh, our animal is has been designed that when sex is involved, there's release of lots of chemicals, very powerful chemicals that create bonding and attachment. So anyone who feels like they're having sex and they're not having an emotional connection, I believe is lying to themselves. Mm. And they'll tell you all day, no, 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 I can do it. I promise I can do it. I don't think it's true. I think they think it's true. Just like for 30 years, I lived my life not understanding how hurt I was that my dad had left me, right? Mm. And then it came out. I didn't know it was in there. How many people have you heard of that were victims of sexual like molestation or sexual abuse who don't even remember it or realize it until they're in their 30s or 40s, mm. right? Hi. So if that happened to you and you don't realize it until you're in your 40s, when you're in your 30s, you could be saying, I'm fine having sex without attachment. I do it all the time. You don't understand that there's this other thing operating below the surface. So that's one thing. I think another thing, reaction to what you were talking about is this broader question in society, this like hypersexualization. Yeah. Right. It's everywhere. It's music. I mean, like I have a 13 year old daughter and I, I, there's some songs I remember from, from years ago and I want to play them for her. And then I play them. I'm like, Oh no, no, I don't want her to hear that. <laughs> we, we, we just started putting the rate. We rent cars. We don't own a car. So we rent them. Yeah. And every time I jump in a car, my daughter, she's six, and she'll say, put the radio on for me. We, we, I would say 80% of the songs we put on, on the normal radio in the daytime, yeah. we have to forward because of their sexually explicit lyrics. And not only is it sexually explicit, it's misogynistic. Mm. It's not sexually, it's not demeaning men. It's always mm. bad for the women in, in like almost every case. Either women demeaning women or men demeaning women. Yeah. 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 I, 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 so that also bothers me. Um, but just to this broader question, like, is this a good thing in our, this hypersexualization of our society? You know, one of the things I also try to explain to people about my story because I try to relate it to my experience, right? Is when I, when I surrendered, when I shared my secrets, when I started healing, when I started that part of my inward journey, I got so much more powerful and I got so much more effective. I got so much more powerful in every aspect of my life. I became a better father. I became a better husband. I became a better boss to my employees. I became a better subordinate to my bosses. I, I became a better board member for companies where I was sitting on the board because I, I, I do venture capital work. And if you had told me that watching porn or cheating on my wife was affecting my performance as a board member, I would have said, no, they're, two, they're totally different things. But the truth is those secrets and all of that behavior was eroding my integrity. I didn't have as much power. And so I didn't show up as, as powerful in my professional work. I, I give this example to ask people to entertain the idea that things that don't seem connected are actually connected. It's, you know, for ourselves, we are, we are one person. It's not like if I'm failing in my business life, uh, you know, I'm not also failing in my personal life. It's all connected. It's all one thing. Mm. And I say the same thing about our society. So if you look at society today and feel like there are things that we're getting wrong, 
which I think there are, <laughs> you know, a spoiler alert. I think there are some things we're, we're getting wrong or that we could be doing better. You have to start challenging everything. And which means you have to start asking, is this hypersexualization issue contributing to this, to, you know, to whatever other ills we're seeing in society? Mm. And I think the answer is yes. Mm. I, I, yeah. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. My, I, I would, uh, I would, I would second that for sure. What was I just going to ask you? How, how do you, sorry, go on. Well, I just, I always, I want to challenge people like go for 30 days with no sex. Mm. Like if you can't do that, maybe this thing is controlling you instead of you controlling it. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I always say. Like I, I don't spend any time looking up dictionary definitions of addiction. (laughs) When someone says to me, like, obviously, you know, I help, even though I overcame porn addiction myself, when I don't, I don't generally, I mean, I coach people through it, but I don't have a program. Like my program is alcohol, right? And whenever someone says to me, I don't know if I'm addicted to alcohol, I just say, well, try not drinking see what happens. And, you know, most people find it really, really difficult <laughs> to, they'll say yeah. things, they'll say things like, I, I, I found it really difficult, but I'm not addicted because it's not the alcohol. I just, I just felt really bored or uncomfortable. No, no, that, that's, still, <laughs> yeah, that's still the same thing, dude. You can't run away from it. Um, so yeah, I'm with, awesome. I'm with you on that. Um, how do you, how do you, have you wrestled with the, the dichotomy of this thing being a problem and having to stop, um, using we'll say and healthy um sexual self-pleasure practice like how how do Mm. you how do you deal with that i know it's a really super personal question but i mean no it's a great it's a great question and i don't mind talking about it um i do feel like different people have different definitions of what it means to be you know engaged in compulsive sexual behavior Mm. um some people would say even masturbation is off the table that like, Mm. if you need that, then there's something wrong and you need to, you know, look inside and figure that out. I don't know if I believe that or not. And I mean that because I still feel like masturbation is fine. Mm. I do think it kind of depends on the intention behind it. So like, is a person using it to numb themselves or distract themselves from some feeling that they're not, that they don't want to feel. If that's the case, then by abstaining from it and allowing themselves to sit in that uncomfortable feeling, like you're talking about your friend with the Mm. alcohol, that's when you're starting to learn about yourself. That's when you're starting to confront the edges of your knowing yourself. Mm. Right. And as you do, the more of that you do, I think the more powerful you become the more connected you become to yourself and to everyone around you. And so I feel like a lot of good things come out of that, but I, I haven't been able, like, if that is the goal to try to attain, like I personally have not been able to get all the way there. So I don't know. It's an open question for me. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, and, and, and this question of like motive and intent is a really tricky one because we often lie to ourselves or, well, we don't lie because we think it's true. Um, if you had asked me when I was driving around in a fancy car, like, did I have this car because I liked technology 
or and cars or because i was trying to get attention from the world and validation from society and say look how successful i've been look how cool i am well back when i had my fancy car i would have said no it's just a cool car i mean check yeah. it out listen to the yeah. engine blah 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 but years later i really changed my under- it changed my understanding of that when i realized like i was looking for a lot of validation from society to tell me that i was good instead mm. of you know feeling it inside so it's really tricky to mm. uh, unpack these things me, i always recommend yeah we have, we have a framework that we we pinch from the conscious leadership group called above or below the line right so we in our stripe method if you are we we're always striving to increase our line awareness so how am I feeling right now? Am I below the line or I'm above the line? Well, no, I'm above the line, right? I'm, I'm present. I'm very conscious. I'm listening. I'm aware. We're having a very deep conversation. So whenever I'm above the line and I'm in conscious, I'm in flow state, or I'm just really present and grounded, then choosing to masturbate as a self-pleasure practice, and I know this is controversial, and using some healthy form of pornography if you want to, um, I feel is okay. Um, if you are feel that you're below the line and you're feeling judgmental, angry, frustrated, lonely, sad, depressed, anxious, mm. then 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 no, like okay, let's shift shift states. Let's find out what's going on here. Um, and and I would say that for drink for everything for drink you know people say wow there's so many people who, who drink in the world and it doesn't seem to bother them yeah they're, they're probably people who are not using alcohol in a very very dysfunctional way even though alcohol is poison right like but you know yes. they're, they're able to just go and have a pint because they want to enjoy their perceived pleasure of it right. versus versus someone else who's like Oh my God, I need to drink right now because I'm feeling really anxious and I don't like my anxious feelings. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and, not it. Well, you know, so I think this, this is a good point you're bringing up. And I feel like, you know, this is something we could debate, but my sense is that the whole reason we are placed on this earth, you know, the whole reason we have an incarnate life on planet earth is for our soul to, to learn and to grow and to expand in consciousness Mm. and to, you know, which is the same as raising your awareness, Mm. right? Raising your consciousness, raising your awareness, expanding your consciousness, maturing. Those are all sides of the same coins. So what I have experienced is that the more I focus on that, raising my awareness, raising my consciousness, understanding myself, et cetera, et cetera, the pleasure that I derive from these material things goes down Mm. you know it's it no longer yeah i don't know how else to say it i guess the the you don't need you need it sounds like it needs a changing and yes this this difference between need and want uh, is coming yes yes and and there's like the if one were to achieve like total consciousness right how another word words you would associate with that would be like bliss Mm. right? Total presence. There's a vibrancy when you're more present. As you said, when you stop drinking, you know, your, your life came into more focus. You're, we're more present, more aware. And I feel like the closer you can get to that natural state of bliss, the less you need 
what I would consider like synthetic forms of bliss. Mm-hmm. So you use the word pleasure. Maybe it's another way of saying that is like a synthetic form of, of bliss or a temporary bliss from some synthetic thing. Yeah, um, I think I think there's this two this I mean not just I don't want to polarize this but I hear what you I hear what you're saying um and I I certainly relate to that in a lot of areas of, in my life you know and and there's another component of it that I only thought about in the last 2 years actually was was viewing sex as play not viewing it as a as a function Right. Like, and, and, and it was, and then, and then it kind of like, okay. So if I want to have a really amazing, brilliant, vibrant, connected uh, relationship with my wife and myself and play and joy and fun and being silly is a big part of that, then we can experiment sexually in order to, to, to have those things. Sex doesn't have to be, I'm feeling horny let's have sex. Sex can be, let's go to the sex shop and see what's in there and let's play around and experiment different roles and all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't have to just be with your wife, right? Like you could, like I, I have, and I think experimentation is really important. Like I've said to myself, okay, let's experiment different forms of masturbation. Let's experiment different forms of pornography. Let's I remember um, not masturbating for months and months and months, but actually getting into physical pain <laughs> with blue balls <laughs> and having to release. And, and then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is insane, Lee, uh-huh. you know? And then, but it was through that experimentation that I was able to come to the conclusion that, no, some, sometimes my body is just telling me that I that that something needs to that something needs to happen, right? Like yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I I do think it's possible for people to have sexual experiences together that are you know very beautiful and can be very playful, and that are based on you know very you know one of the things that I get very focused on in my work is like if I. I'm taking really good care of myself so that my, you know, I'm full, Mm. then I can be in service. If I really loving myself and accepting myself, then I can actually be in service to others without an agenda. Yeah. But I feel like so many of us, myself included, there are times where I have a lack or I have a need. And then when I'm interacting, let's say with my wife there is an agenda because I'm trying to get something from her. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get something from her, love, attention, whatever. Mm. And so, you know, sex born out of that, I would say is tricky because you're using that sex to try to fill something. Mm. But if you, if you and your partner are really approaching sex from this perspective of like, I love myself deeply and I want to be in service to you and you're both doing that, then I think it can be very beautiful. I just, unfortunately, I think the reality is the percentage of times it's happening that way is very small. Well, in my, yeah, in my personal sexual history, (laughs) I mean, the key that I've, I've realized is it's, it's to me, it's all about play, right? Like when the, when, when my wife's in her feminine sexual essence and I'm in my masculine 
sexual essence. It allows her to play and to be funny and to just be flowy and and it allows me to just be in my masculine, right? And 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 there's that magnetism and it's that fun and it's that play. And yeah. even in that, even in that moment when, you know, because when you have kids and stuff, not everything's like spontaneity kind of goes out the window. There, there needs to be a moment when someone is kind of saying, Hey, do you fancy a bit? You know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and when there's when there's a no, not not I don't like, you know, the the ability to not fall into that inner child pattern, you know, that yes, and feel and, the rejection and, and that rejection and, and, yeah. and, and then feel like you need something versus, okay, yeah, I get it completely. Do you know what I mean? It, to me that, that, that fun and that joy and that light, which really has come with, like you say, that growth, that maturation, that, uh, uh, you know, becoming a man, that type of thing. <laughs> Well, so so a lot of what you, I totally agree with what you're saying. And a lot of it, what you said earlier, reminded me of this book, The Way of the Superior Man. Yeah, I've read it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. where he talks about, if I, as a man, am embodying my normal, my like my natural masculine energetics, oh, mm. I guess we should also mention, like, we're talking about, like, a heteronormative view of the world. I know mm. these days, you know, things are a lot different, but you know, that's just been my experience and what I, yeah. what I feel qualified to talk about. Um, but when I'm embodying my mature masculine energy, it allows my wife to embody her mature feminine. And that's relaxing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about this in that book that when we embody those energies that are most natural to us, it's actually relaxing yeah, and when we can relax into that, that's when we can have fun. Yeah. Um, but part of the precursor to that, or the prerequisite to that, is that we have taken care of ourselves and fully embodied ourselves, so that we're not we don't have an agenda on the other person. We're not looking to them to give us something. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to take something from them, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, for my wife and I, we don't have sex frequently. And I try to be neutral about it as in like, if it's available, that's wonderful. If it's not available, that's okay too. But I think because of that neutrality, when it does happen, it's wonderful and it's amazing. Yeah. You just, you just, I mean, for me, as I've grown up, you just, you just know, like you, you just know when to go there and when not to go there because you just pick up on the energy, you know, versus when, when I was, well, when I was, sorry, when I am in my boy energy, that's when I can slip below the line. And then I'm, I'm asking for something when I know she's likely going to say no. So and it's like, what do you fucking ask? It's almost like you're seeking the rejection, right? Like that's, it's, that's right. it's ridiculous. Don't, that's right? right. And, and so when are the moments? I mean, I'm, I think I can answer, I, I think I know the answer to this. It's, it's kind of a setup, but like, when are the moments that she is the most attracted to you? Wow. I mean, I mean, just to rifle a few of them off, but one of them that might shock people is when I'm being an, an amazing father. That's right. right. When when I spend more time with my daughter, when I play with her, when I put her front and center, when I uh, put family ahead of work, when I have fun, when I'm silly, when I'm just messing about, when I'm listening, 
uh, when I'm not being defensive, when I'm being present and grounded and all those things, that shifts her into a feminine. When I'm the opposite of those things, she sees me being a boy and her natural inclination is to fill the masculine void. That's right. Which my boy hates. My boy's like, get the fuck out of my yard. Right. Well, not only that, she doesn't want to be your mother. No, she wants to be your wife. Yeah. So if you slip into a boy energy, she has to move into a mother energy. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want to be there. That's not sexy. Um, And so it's interesting. I have a similar experience with my wife. You know, I'll do something that seems very silly, like, you know, make my son a peanut butter and jelly snack after school. And she'll be like, that's hot. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like we have, we have literally, it's because we, we grow up and we have literally no idea um, what women need because we're, we're, we're raised in this powerarchy that we are in control and we are all powerful and they're subservient to us. I mean, that certainly was the case when I grew up. I'm not blaming my dad. Like I'm not saying it was my dad's fault. It was just the it was just what was happening at the time. Yeah. And 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 so you you grow up in that with that paradigm. Jason, it's been really fun talking to you. I wish I had another hour. Agree. Yeah. But I got I got I gotta go and be a dad. So my no, wife hey, that's hot, super man. sexy. Um you, you look more can... sexy now than when you started the call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm smiling. Look. Oh, apart that's from my right. missing two. That's not very it's sexy. It's all good. <laughs> so where people can get your book, obviously, on Amazon, right? You know, so uh, Silicon yep. Valley Ponsar, go check it out on Amazon. Uh, where else can people find you and learn more about you, Jace? Jasonportnoy.com. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And um, there's actually on, there's more information about me, more about the book. Um, there's a way that people can get in touch with me and send mm-hmm. me a message. And I love getting those messages. I've gotten messages from men and women all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um telling me about their journey and and how the book has helped them and sometimes we get into dialogue and it's been really enjoyable to see the impact so mm. please you know if the book affects you send me a message well thank you for the bravery and the courage to step forward and do this uh, it's really important thank your wife for me as well like uh, super we didn't get to touch upon it but what an amazing uh, a woman as well for finding that forgiveness and uh, understanding understanding the difference between your true self and your false self. Uh, yeah, and let's keep in touch, yeah? Yes, for absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. Without you, the listener, there is no podcast, so thank you for stepping up today. Please go to your podcast player, rate and review the show. It will help people get to know about it a little bit more and we can save some more lives. I just want to say a special thanks to our producer, Stan, who is currently in the Ukraine. If you would like to help and support Stan and his family, email us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com and we'll find a way to do that. Special thanks to all of our guests who make this show so magical and our Strive family for uniting in our common goal to be people who don't drink alcohol and live self-led lives. And if you want to join us, email us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. And lastly, if you enjoyed this show, tell somebody about it. You could seriously change somebody's life. Strive on, everybody.